All right, welcome everybody to the uh, GC On Demand podcast. As you may or may not know, uh, my name is Eric Wright. I am Disco Posse here in the Green Circle community. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Disco Posse. Uh, very proud to have a special guest today. Uh, you know, every guest seems special, but this one's particularly close to uh, to my heart as someone I get to spend a lot of time with, and I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do that. Uh, with that, I want to welcome to the show uh, Ben Nye. And Ben, do you want to introduce yourself to the crowd and then we can get into some some really neat stuff I want to talk a bit about company culture and, and the VC side of things, which we don't often get to to talk to about. Okay. Well, uh, Eric, thank you for uh, having me. And uh, normally Eric and I would be uh, having this conversation on one of our morning runs at one of the uh, TurboFast user group meetings. But uh, fortunately today we're doing it on uh, on a podcast, but welcome uh, all the viewers. Uh, my name is Ben Nye. I'm the CEO at VM Turbo and also a co-managing partner at Bain Capital Ventures. So the reason why I, I want to touch on some interesting stuff, you know, we we generally talk about things at every layer of the stack, and you know, we've had folks talking about automation, about you know, virtualization, cloud, and and uh, but what's more important is uh, the culture of community and and how that's been brought into everything we talk about. And now I want to take a look at it from the other side and talk about sort of the VC side of things, if you don't mind. Let's you know, I want to get your sense on how is the the shift in the IT industry towards the sort of cloud-focused and you know self-service on-demand culture, how has that affected the the VC landscape over the last while that you've seen? Well, when you say VC, I, I'm assuming you mean like uh, the funding environment, the type of companies we're looking at, and so forth. Um, but what I would say is uh, it's a it's a great time, uh, particularly for those who uh, invest in the data center infrastructure software market. Um, when you see uh, a replatforming of the industry, and again, it will not be a full replatforming. You'll, you'll for sure, I think, look at a hybrid and multi-cloud world in the future. Um, it just expands the opportunities for disruption as, as young companies think about uh, new technologies, new capabilities to bring to market to leverage these changes. And these are these are plate tectonic changes in, in terms of orders of magnitude. So what it does. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is it tends to throw the entrenched or legacy vendors uh, off their game because they don't innovate uh, or adapt as rapidly, and uh, and it favors you know the uh, the really insightful and unique technologies uh, that the young uh, companies are bringing to bear and that are often funded by uh, by venture investors. And so throughout, you've had a really sort of storied history in, in venture capital, and, and obviously in, in you know recent years we've been working together in one specific area. How have you have you really seen the shift start you know affect your your personal you know view on the on how you attack a portfolio right now? If you were to if you were to look at a new company, you know what are the differences now versus say you know th even three four years ago versus stuff that we see as a potential in the market well I think you have to uh, you have to be cognizant of some pretty fundamental changes take take Amazon as an example and you and I've had many conversations about this but look at the growth of, of a company doing more than two billion dollars a quarter and clearing 500 million dollars a quarter in profit operating profit um, as a uh, as a fundamental shift and, and proof point in the marketplace so lots and lots of demand um, is is favoring off-prem uh, public cloud services, um, uh, frankly, more than ever ever before, and and then right behind them, it's also 
a shift where you're seeing you know Microsoft come in strong, Google just uh, uh, jumping up with the Apple contract uh, win, and behind them IBM, uh, and then all the slew of carriers that are offering some form of cloud or hosted service. So. Um, you're definitely seeing a ton of dynamism in that part of the market. Uh, at the same time, on-prem is anything but going away. I think it's still at this point probably 90 plus percent of the total spend in data centers. Um, and so the real question will be which workloads uh, should run in a uh, on-prem private cloud data center environment and which ones should run almost exclusively in the public cloud data center. And then also, you know, uh, which one should be uh, used to burst uh, from a private to a hybrid and multi-cloud uh, alternative? And those questions um, here to date have been, um, you know, sort of forming. But I think you're going to see as workload mobility increases, then new capabilities will matter as well. Um, right now, I would still argue that. Uh, it's less about uh, real-time bursting and uh, and data movement. I mean, if anything, I think data tends to be uh, uh, tied to stateful apps, which are the slowest to move, as opposed to stateless, which can be torn down and set up uh, almost anywhere. Um, but I do think that as those problems are solved, uh, you'll see uh, increasing uh, fluidity in where workloads run and when they choose to run them uh, in different uh, locales, be they owned or unowned uh, data centers. Yeah, I think the the concept of hybrid cloud originally was meant to be, you know, your on-premises data center with an extension, you know, a permanent virtual circuit out to a public cloud environment. And, and this idea of, you know, workloads that moved in and out, you know, as needed. But it what the reality is, is that it's become a multi-cloud. You know, Amazon is part of your, it's your, another data center that just happens to be attached to yours. It's not really about mobility. Like you said, the those stateful applications are they have data gravity they have you know locality issues and and it's so i like that we've finally realized that portability is is not being thought of in the same way that you know virtualization introduced it we had portability in the data center or in the wan but when you go out to the public cloud it's just not the case right and it's humbling when you talk about 90% of data center of spend being in in data center and on premises stuff like when do, do you think there's going to be a shift in the next you know couple of years where that number's going to you know dial back or you know how do you see the the weighting of the public cloud market versus the the traditional on premises builds yeah so and again if you go back there people still running mainframes right so i don't think you're going to see a, a 100% replatforming uh, ever um, what I do believe is you're going to see an increasingly rapid shifting. So one of the analogies I would use if you look back at uh, the adoption of virtualization itself and the whole creation of the private cloud, well, the ESX, uh, VMware ESXi was first released in 1999, so 17 years to where we're now about 80 to 90 percent penetrated in the enterprise, and I would say you know 90 percent plus in the service provider market, um, driven by operational necessities. That uh, that's a long adoption cycle uh, for where we are. I just think it'll be probably quicker uh, as you think about, again, hybrid cloud in particular, hybrid and multi. Uh, you know, my guess is if you if you went from, you know, looking at adoption rates on mainframe to Unix, Unix to Blades, Blades to VMs, and VMs to, uh, to hybrid and multi-cloud, it's probably on the order of probably having the adoption pace uh, to get to those levels of penetration. 
it's it's amazing and i think the shift is a lot around you know culture of the way that we consume it right it is like that we're seeing a cultural change in in how we want to use services and and how we're adopting them it's is that's something that's you know the mainframe we were we were tried and true it's still there right and and virtualization will have that long tail but you definitely i see it myself and out in the community is people are like look I know I can do this faster and I want to be able to spin it up quickly. I want to know that it's repeatable. I want to know that I can I can trust where it's going to land and have it go out there rapidly. You know, as as you talk to folks in in the industry, is that what you're seeing is like they may not be using it now in a full like rapid cloud deployment, but they're they're preparing for it rather than denying that it's the future. So I think a lot of uh um a lot of this uh, initial cloud adoption was really more in DevOps, and uh, so a lot of developer environments uh, people took to the cloud, and it was a very easy place to spin up a server on a variable cost OpEx basis and develop an app and <clears throat> begin building the, uh, the use case or the adoption uh, on that app. Uh, and so I think that was sort of the initial wave or two of, uh, of public cloud usage. I think what you're seeing now is more um, broad-based adoption, um, where you're seeing a, a you know a replatforming even of some of the people who call what they call it a zero data center environment, where your your IaaS infrastructure layer can actually be owned by a a public cloud provider, and it and it's a natural evolution in that market of what you saw when service uh, uh, providers were. Uh, traditional SO and ES kind of providers were going on-prem and buying a data center and operating it for you. Now the question is, well, why wouldn't you just let them uh, manage it in a more homogenous environment uh, by one of the big public hyperscale cloud vendors? So the IAS layer may or may not be your own in the future. I think the reason companies get comfortable with that is because they know that as you climb up the stack uh, to the cloud OS, uh, the the PAS or indeed the apps themselves, um, there are additional ways to manage the control and performance of those apps, you know, VM Turbo being front and center, um, that afford them the opportunity to leverage the flexibilities uh, from, you know, the hyperscale cloud guys. And I, I'm, I'm really enjoying to see this shift. And, you know, it's funny, having had a history in it, it's it's neat to watch it coming to fruition. We've talked about it for a while. I've been in the OpenStack community for a long time. And, you know, it was always this idea of people saying like, no, no, it's not going to happen. Now it's like everybody's racing to get on the boat. You know, public cloud is kind of going that that same way. I, I want to shift in a to ask a, a question. When we look at companies that are succeeding and, you know, you know, there's culture and community, but there's also internal culture. And, and I'm always fascinated by, you know, how companies are able to rapidly grow and succeed. It, when you look at something, Ben, like, especially, you know, with companies you've invested in and, you know, where we are right now, you know, how how does the culture within the company help to kind of affect the outcome of, of the business and the success of it as a, as a product and, and as an organization? Wow, um, great question, Eric. The uh, the thing I would say, we, we actually run um, a very strong culture at VM Turbo. Uh, there are three pillars to our culture that we're explicit about. Uh, one is performance. We expect everybody to perform strongly and 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 view that as a as a anchor point. 
uh, transparency. We share all information except one issue, which is each other's compensation, just because there's no way to safeguard that and win, win that argument. <laughs> and then the last one is trust, and uh, make sure that people are truly depending on one another. You have your good days, your bad days, but you got to pick each other up and inspire each other so you can actually change the world, and that's what we're here to do. But when you put performance, transparency, and trust together, uh, we have the uh, opportunity to uh, demand, note the verb, uh, leadership from everybody at VM Turbo. We we definitely uh, view that there's sort of a, a, a spectrum, and, and at one end you're a leader, uh, and you own, you're accountable, you're you're uh, you know builder, and at the other end you're a victim, and nothing's ever your problem or your fault, and it's blame someone else. And and we really we really want to emphasize the the importance, particularly in a venture back company with a thin balance sheet. That you're uh, you're constantly thinking and pushing yourself as a leader, and avoiding the uh, the any leniency towards being a, a victim, and that builds the culture more than anything I can tell you. A um, few instantiations of this: we hold a uh, a weekly lunch. Uh, it's a town hall meeting. We welcome all of the new employees each week, and and there've been a lot. Um, you know, we started three years ago with, with uh, 62 employees in Burlington. Today we're at 430, roughly, wow. uh, employees. And, and each week um, we, we welcome in the new ones. We ask them to introduce themselves in front of the whole company. We call it VMTV, where we patch in our London, our New York, our other New York, and our Toronto offices, <clears throat> as well as Boston. And, uh, and we want to make sure that people start on, on, uh, on their first week with, uh, with the right foot forward and that they get a sense for the energy and dynamism that is VM Turbo. Um, we then are explicit in our conversations about um, you know, why we're doing this town hall meeting and we encourage people to, to grab some food, come and sit next to someone you don't know because part of the, the fun of venture-backed companies is the journey you're on, right? And you want to treasure, even on good weeks, even on bad weeks, you want to treasure the experience and get to know one another because when you get to big companies all functions get siloed it's just less of a personal experience but but when you find a winner and I'm very confident that VM Turbo is one of those winners it's so fun to share this experience with each other and one day we'll all be at other companies but we'll want to know <clears throat> who are the winners who are the people you want to bring with you to that next company and next company? Uh, who are the ones that really understood and, and believed in the mission and walked the walk? And those top performers are the ones that you'll want to be calling first. Um, Shmuel gave an impassioned speech today <clears throat> about belief and how important it is to fundamentally be on a journey uh, that we've all embarked upon when you join VM Turbo, which is we believe that data centers can and should be run better uh, by software, and, and software in our case that enables the applications to self-organize and pick the infrastructure on which they run run instead of having human beings chasing around to answer machine-generated alerts, which just can't possibly be a good answer and frankly they can't scale and there are not enough skills to do it. And the one thing I would add to his comments, which I thought were prescient, is that you not only have to believe, but you can't believe blindly. You have to believe but be informed because we're asking others to now believe in us and if you can not teach something or evangelize something, well then you're not going to be very successful in your job. So um, to me one of the most important 
cornerstone habits that we can have here is to really emphasize the education of all VM Turbo employees so they in turn can teach and educate prospects and others who uh, have yet to hear the story about application performance control. And you, you've hit on stuff that, like, I I literally, like, it, it gives me, you know, my, my hair stands up on the back of my neck because I love it. I'm excited when you think about the passion that's involved in, in what, what's being built. And, you know, and community has been a big part of it, and that's how I approached it, you know, coming on board. And, you know, when you talk about leadership is important. I literally have a book on my shelf I'm staring at right now called The Powers to Lead. It says nigh on it. You know, we, we know. Tell us. You know, leadership is is in the family. You, you know, tell us briefly about you know Joseph Joseph S Nye Jr. here, and uh, you know how did leadership come into your history? So uh, he's my dad, and uh, he's a professor of government and international relations. And so uh, that book you referred to, Power to Lead. By the way, I hope all of your listeners will buy a copy because I'm sure at some point there's a there's a royalty that'll translate down to uh, <laughs> to, to the family. No, uh, but but kidding aside, the um, uh, my dad has been uh, focused on executive leadership and government leadership and international leadership uh, his entire career. Uh, he's been a role model for me, and uh, I can tell you many, many family dinners and Alaska fishing trips and uh, deer hunting trips where uh, the conversation always reverts back to leadership. And uh, it's something that if you find it intrinsically interesting, and I do, um, I and my brothers will debate this. I and my son and daughters will debate this. My wife and I debate this all the time about examples of great leaders and what the difference a great leader can make. <clears throat> So uh, it is a subject that's near and dear to me. I, I could talk about it endlessly. I really, uh, I really value uh, the, the subject because we can always be learning more from each other and applying it. Uh, so so I, I view, you know, again, VM Turbo as a leader in technology. Um, there are plenty of people in, in uh, you know, mega cap, large scale companies uh, who, uh, you know, I... I don't believe they are um, taking the same type of risk as what we take when we join and build a startup um, because this is where you have to walk the walk. You you will not be successful if you can't build this company and there is no safety valve, there is no safety net, and there's no, you know, they blow up the bridge behind you as you go. So it's really about can we organize ourselves? Can we build technology ourselves and can we go figure out how to market and sell it and service our customers ourselves because without that um, we don't deserve uh, the opportunity afforded us. I love the accountability, you know, uh, you know, create your own responsibility. We are 100% in charge of our destiny. I think they, we, we've used the phrase, you know, recent, in recent days, you know, everyone's a general manager for your, your team, yourself, you know, always have that approach, and and it's a it's a huge part of an important culture. So one thing I want to ask is, you know, how do you guide? You know, there's products that are interesting and that are good. Yeah, how do you guide a good product into becoming a good company? Because that's as important as as everything that that's being built. You know, here and, and in other parts of the industry. Because I've seen great technology that just tipped over because it wasn't able to be marketed correctly or you know, whether it was too soon or you know, there's there's a number of reasons why they they don't go well but but Ben what do you think are 
are kind of key factors in taking a product and and making it marketable and successful? Um, well, when I look at a company, whether it's early, middle, or late, the, there's really four main factors that I think you have to have. Um, you you need a, a large uh, and important and ideally growthful market um, that you believe you can disrupt. Um, so the market is the first thing that I would focus uh, your user base on. The, the second one is how unique, defensible, disruptive uh, is the technology, the IP uh, that you're that you're building and marketing and selling. Uh, and then along with that, you got to think about what's the business model. And so within business model, you got to think about things like what what can I charge for it? What can I expect to make on it? But also things like how fast is the time to value? How many different buying groups do I have to center my uh, conversations and, and campaign on within the customer organization to actually deliver the successful outcome so it's repeatable? And if you can get through those first three, the fourth one is you got to stack the deck on the team. The most important thing are the people in any company. Even code ultimately is coming from people. So building an A-plus team, and I'm talking about team from you know, the, the direct reports to the CEO all the way to the individual contributor. If you can stack the deck, if you have better human capital than others, that's why we can win. Okay. Otherwise, it's just how do we organize ourselves, how candid our conversations are, how much capital do we need and budgeting exercise and, and execution. But, but fundamentally, you need great people and they need to know how to work together. And that trust factor always plays through, right? You have to know that you could drop someone like it, almost like a SWAT team approach of like you, you know that if one of you gets gets shelled out on your own, you can trust that they're they're going to stick to the plan. You know, we know we can we can let them out with a group, and it's it's fun to to see it happen. And it's it's been interesting to to work with you and and talk with other folks that have seen it happen a time and time again because that's. Doing it once is one thing, but you know, I know you've executed multiple times with this, and and other folks in the industry. It's it's been powerful to watch the passion of, of people in that. I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you. I, I will say just on your point about trust, the trust is not just the team. By the way, the trust goes to the prospects <clears throat> and indeed customers, those who are thinking about spending money on our solution, and those who have, and making sure that you walk the walk all the way through to their success. Because what we're doing, <clears throat> excuse me, is not just changing um, a little bit uh, the way they operate and execute, but fundamentally bringing new capability to market. And this is a journey, not a not a sale. It's a journey that we call the journey to control, or in our case, the application performance control. And and that journey uh, can instill fear, uh, intimidation, or massive leverage and excitement depending on how well you can explain it and how comfortable you can make someone with trusting this young company and the people that stand behind it. So one of the next things I wanted to to think about is, you know, we've seen it up till now and I've we've seen, you know, you talked about 17 years of, you know, virtualization really from the dawn of of VMware being introduced and and you know, obviously Hyper-V, we used to chuckle about it, yet it's a major player. You know, Azure Stack is going to come in, it's going to disrupt things. We're heading into a very exciting exciting sort of 18 to 24 month period and 
you know, a couple of years ago, we saw this big wave of people leaving the incumbents and a, and a wave of, you know, uh, venture capital-backed startups. You know, OpenStack startups grew like crazy. Uh, we saw a lot of storage startups that were, you know, either software or hardware-based. And now we're seeing a lot of them coming back in, getting bought up by the incumbents again. And they're going back to the to the sort of titanic model of, you know, a, grabbing onto this huge, huge behemoth. Do you see like a next wave coming maybe in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months where we're going to see another rash of folks coming out and, and incubating new opportunities and new startups? Oh, yeah. But I also would uh, question whether I don't I don't think this is a consolidating uh, market right now. I think it's, if anything, more wide open than it ever has been before. If you look at the disruption of the <clears throat> traditional, you know, strategics, uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean, you saw HP break itself in half. You saw Symantec break itself in half. You saw uh, Riverbed go private, BMC go private. Uh, I think Citrix is headed in that direction and, and uh, replaced Mark Templeton. You see uh, Dell went private. You see EMC uh, being acquired now by Dell. Um, you look at CompuWare went private. You look at uh, the the pretty regular uh, reorganization at IBM. You look at constant company after company <clears throat> that was a traditional uh, marketeer and sales organization serving the data center, and you see this incredible amount of disruption. And along with it, you see um, uh, huge opportunities starting up. You see public companies or companies that are preparing to go public, um, you know, starting with a, a service now or a Splunk or a Pure or a Nimble, um, I think on, on uh File right now is uh, are guys like AppD and uh, uh, Nutanix. Um, Simplicity not far behind them. I, I think you're going to see that many companies actually that would have traditionally sold out earlier to a strategic are now saying, you know what, the risk rewards are starting to favor me. Maybe I'll take this one all the way. And I think those are some of the interesting uh, debates. It's going to force the strategics who have still got the lion's share of the market to really uh, build conviction sooner about young companies uh, because uh, there's no question that companies can get, uh, venture companies can get the financing to go all the way. The real question is uh, how do they leverage, how do the incumbents leverage their, their brand, their uh, distribution uh, channels uh, globally, their, their install base and the recurring uh, revenue nature of some of the uh, maintenance streams they have and ELAs. How do, they, how do they do that and leverage that to make sure that they're forward buying on these young startups to give themselves a competitive leg up uh, in the market? I, I think in general, uh, these large companies are very successful when they integrate um, uh, these technologies in. I think they're not as successful when they have to build them from scratch. So it's... It's a fun time, you know. I'm excited by everything that's going on. Like you said, it's you know, there's there's so much going on. Uh, you know, we we've also seen you know that we call it the incumbent, right? They're they're the the folks that have everything to lose, and it's it truly is theirs to lose. You know, AWS is is in that battle right now. I won't say it. I'll, I'll, you know, AWS is seen as the one. They're the target, right? The same way as Apple's got the iPhone, AWS has the cloud. You know, but yet Azure has a huge opportunity to to get into the market. Same as Samsung is. You know, Huawei in in mobile phones. We we forget that there's all these other brands that have massive amounts of market share. So there's 
there's plenty of pie for for all of us to eat from i think right <laughs> oh absolutely I, I i think you're gonna see that you know these young companies are very effective at, at uh, building new technologies that leverage you know the advantages of moore's law or provide some kind of uh, operating improvement or performance improvement and ROI to the companies, to the customers, and they're able to now distribute their software themselves and build the company themselves. The real question is, does it fit better into a, a, a large incumbent's portfolio of products and will it help them accelerate their own incremental sales as they wade into the next replatforming uh, opportunities in the market as well? So we're we're running up to time, and I, I wanna I wanna ask you you know one more thing, which is always important for folks that listen in, and and they wanna know you know how do I you know how do I do something cool? How do I how do I take myself to the next level? And the one thing I always pick people up on is what's the what's the book on your bookshelf right now? You know whether it's audiobook or or one you're reading, you know one that you 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 say is the go-to standard. If you had to pick one out and you tell it everybody. I want you to go out and, and get this one right now. Uh, what's what's on Ben Nye's bookshelf that's important for people to to pick up and transform themselves? Well, it won't be Titanic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I'm reading a book right now. Uh, I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit, uh, and it's it's actually called The Power of Habits. This is not uh, the seminal. I mean, uh, there's plenty of books on startups and and so forth, but th there's a couple that have had a a pretty interesting, um, you know, impact on me uh, recently, and and I would say uh, the the power of habit is one because it really helps you think through how do I get alignment in my organization, and how do I, um, uh, you know, get people to actually adopt these important. Um, activities that help us build our company with alignment and consistently so we can build a quarterly cadence month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year of growth. One of the neat things at, at VM Turbo is we've accomplished now 23 consecutive quarters of record revenue in a row and I think that's really neat. Um, I would encourage your listeners to, uh, to try out this uh, book and see if it's uh, appealing. But then I also want to make sure I leave you with a lighter book but one that I think is important as well. And it's called uh, uh, Don't Sweat the Little Things. And then the byline is, and they're all little things. <laughs> and the main, <clears throat> the, um, the main point there is there are lots of things you can do with your life, your time, and so forth. Treasure the journey you're on. Be passionate about the, the work you're doing. If you're not passionate in the job you are, look in the mirror and ask yourself, is this where you're spending your time? Because you're not going to get time back, right? But the best thing I can tell you is in that book, uh, is they say, how do you feel after you ream someone out? And you really light them up, okay? And five minutes later, you might feel good for five minutes or not, I don't know, but five minutes later, you're going to feel horrible. You feel empty. And then how do you feel after you inspire somebody? And five minutes later, you're on top of the world. And so to me, the most important thing is to make sure that you're someone who, who sows inspiration and growth and opportunity and can think in careers, not jobs, in customers and journeys, not uh, sales and conquests. And, uh, and if you do that and you're a builder and you enjoy leadership and, you've, and you're passionate about your, uh, the mission you're on, then, then I think you'll, uh, you'll find you know, that, that those are the bigger things as opposed to uh, sweating the little things. Hope that helped.
It's I love it. And, you know, as a good friend of mine, I always quote him, he says, you know, lives are long, jobs are short. And and we are going to survive a lot of the the career, you know, hunks that we go through. And uh, but I can tell you that I've I've felt the inspiration and I continue to as well. So, you know, thank you, Ben, for taking the time to to chat with us today. And uh, of course, I'll I'll tell folks they can definitely find you in the green circle, which is which is pretty awesome. <laughs> How often do you find somebody who's got such a storied history, you know, in the industry and 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 to be a, a great leader of a company and and to be active in the community? Uh, so with that, Ben, thank you very much uh, for taking the time today, and uh, we look. Let forward- me. Uh- if I can, let me just say a quick thank you to you, Eric, for hosting this, but also to all of our customers and our prospects in the Green Circle and our partners who have made a decision to support um, <clears throat> us as a company and believe in us, but also who have made a decision to uh, embark and, and stay on this journey towards automation and control. Because if you fundamentally buy into the belief that software can run your data center, that applications can self-organize, then we don't have this crazy world of people, labor, responding to machine-generated alerts that are generated from monitoring hardware in a world of software-defined data centers. So it's kind of a, it's an obvious one when you step back and look at it, but I know how hard the journey is, and I know how hard we're working, and I'm very pleased with those who have uh, rewarded us with their trust and, uh, and that special vendor-customer relationship. So, um, so thank you to them as well. And Eric, I'll plan to uh, to see you on the next run. A- amen to that. So for folks who want to, of course, uh, listen to more, uh, feel free to uh, you know subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can uh, see the main page at gcondemand.io. Uh, there's going to be an entire list of all the shows and, and links to the show notes inside there, uh, as well as links to iTunes and to uh, Stitcher in order to subscribe. Uh, feel free to jump in and rate us in there. We're always happy to hear you know uh, what's your feedback and, and how are we doing uh, and of course, if you go to uh, greencircle.vmturbo.com, you can join the Green Circle community. It's completely free, uh, free as in kittens, free as in beer. And more importantly, it's it's a great community of folks that talk about every edge of technology. And it's I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of that. So again, thank you, Ben. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you.